Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. It is so good to see you. So glad that you're here. I'm just really, 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 really excited about today. And I want to share a thought with you. Uh, you know, so many times I, I come in here and, uh, you know, I, I really need this to be filled up in my life. And there's times I just, I feel empty. And I come to worship and I come to be with God's people. I come to be with you. And, and God fills me up. And, and, and I'm always so glad that I came. But I want to give you a thought today, okay? I want to give you a thought. What if instead of coming here from a place of emptiness to be filled, what if you came here from a place of overflow, of overflow, that during the week you'd spent time with God, you'd been in Word, you'd been experiencing His person during the week. What if during the week you realize that worship is not a Sunday morning event, but worship is really a lifestyle? That, that all week long you you had been singing these songs. I do. I, I mean, these, these are the songs I s play and listen to during the week. During the week, th th this is a, a lot of where I live during the week. These songs, they're so familiar to me. And I, I've been singing them during the week. I mean, it's not unusual for me to say, hey, Alexa. And Alexa knows me so well by now. She's like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Play Hillsong United. Play some worship music. You know, we're just so blessed in, in our area and, and love these guys as they wrap up this morning. Just love them, appreciate their hearts and lead us in worship. You know, we're just so blessed in our area. You know, we have like three great worship stations that we can listen to during the week. 88.1, Praise and Worship. And by the way, if you listen there in the mornings from 7 to 10, you will hear a very sweet little voice come on the radio. Happens to me, my, my, my one and only daughter, Katie, who's going to college this week. So you, know, you guys be praying for us as we take her to college this week. And, uh, but she's on every morning from 7 to 10, sharing praise and worship music, sharing devotionals, talking about her dad sometimes. That's when I have to turn it off. <laughs> I never know what she's going to share. But, and what's neat too, is she's going to be able to continue her ministry in Campbellsville they're giving her the equipment that she needs to do her radio program from Campbellsville. So every morning, 17, we'll be able to continue to hear her, start your day off listening to praise and worship. We have, if you love Southern Gospel, we got 90.5 right here locally. We have 89.7, which is like kind of like Caleb, but with a much broader format. You can feel your life. You can feel your life with worship by choosing specifically what you listen to, what you poured into your, your heart and into your mind. Now, now, granted, I mean, Froggy's fun, it's entertaining. 
Uh, Willie's fun. It's entertaining. Uh, y'all remember a K100? Y'all remember K? Who remembers K100? It went to Z100 or whatever it is now. Remember all that? Can be fun. Can be entertaining. But, but that does not. It doesn't fill your soul. It's fun. I mean, Alexa knows Brady's playlist. And it's kind of funny, it'll be Hillsong United with Conway Twitty and Whitney Houston. I mean, it's just crazy what this guy listens to. It's fun. It's entertaining. But what if all week long you spent time with him and you were worshiping all week and you came in here from a place of overflow? How exciting would this place be? Well, for some reason, God's put me in a place of overflow today. I'm just so thankful for that. And I'm really excited about what we're going to be sharing with you in John chapter 3. Um, I know it's back to school week. It's also kind of a season where you go back to school, back to church. I want to encourage you in this. Back to school, back to church, back to balance. Back to balance, a balanced life. And I want to really encourage you that as you come back to school, back to church, and back to balance, that you really spend time focusing on your spiritual foundation. Your spiritual foundation is what everything else of your life comes upon. So if you don't take time to nurture and build your spiritual foundation, then when everything above it goes haywire, or it goes crazy, or it's messed up, or something dramatic happens, then, then your foundation is not strong and stable. And, and that's what you've got to have in your life. God doesn't want to be your safety net. He wants to be your life. He wants to be the trampoline upon which you enjoy life. And do everything else in life. He doesn't want to be way back there in the back of your mind. And everything else is so crazy and so busy. But hey, when it all falls apart, then I've got God. No, if you fail to build your spiritual foundation. When everything else goes haywire. It's going to be really, 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 really rocky and unstable. I believe you can build your spiritual foundation. I want you to think about it in like three blocks. Three foundational blocks. One is worship. Coming together with God's people to worship. The other part of that block is, is service and ministry. Service and ministry. How you give from your spiritual gifts. And the third block of your foundation is your personal growth and discipleship. You taking time to invest in yourself with a, maybe a small group of people to study, to share, to engage, to dialogue, to discuss, to do life with. Three blocks. Worship, service, ministry, one other block, and then the block of your own spiritual growth. And I want to encourage you, fathers and husbands and wives, as we come back to school, back to church, and back to balance, make sure that you are never so busy that you fail 
to lead your family to strengthen the spiritual foundation of their lives. So with that being said, we're going to fly into John chapter 3. And I've got to slow down today. I really do. I'm, I'm pacing myself on purpose because the last two Sundays, by the time I got halfway through the second service, my voice was almost gone. I sounded like a, like a 12 or 13-year-old boy that was, you know, reaching puberty or whatever. And I was like cracking all over the place. And I get home, I didn't have a voice at all, which was a blessing to my wife and kids. But today I am purposefully slowing down so we can really carefully work through what I think is extremely, extremely important. We're revisiting John three sixteen, and we're asking the question, what is the gospel? How many of you guys um, back in the day, and, and you know, I kind of have an idea what teenagers do now to pass their time, but how many of you all remember the days of cruising? Who remembers the days of cruising? You know, back when I was a teenager, you know, what we did on a, like on a Friday night is, you know, we would all go into town, into Murray, and we would cruise. I mean, we would go uh, up around McDonald's. I mean, oh, I mean, the old school, listen to me, old school cruisers would go downtown Murray. A lot of the country boys, downtown Murray, you could go around and see them all in their, in their trucks, you know. And then we'd go downtown Murray, then we'd go out by McDonald's, and then go down to Dairy Queen. By Dairy Queen, that's where all the cream eaters hung out. If you're from Murray, Calvary County area, you know who the cream eaters are. That's where they would hang out. But we would spend all night cruising. And we would, we, we would go that, that loop in that route. And guess what? Once we did it once, we would do it again. And we would do it again. And it was like a big parade and a big procession. And you never know who might jump in at any point in time. So you wanted to make sure you saw whoever jumped in in their car and who all was in the car. Because it was not uncommon to have five, six, seven, eight people in a car. I mean, there were no seatbelt laws or anything like that. I mean, we cruise. And I understand that even here in Benton, they used to cruise too. Go out past a... a Pizza Hut area. There used to be a, a drive-in out there. What was that drive-in? It's called what drive-in? What that was called? Sam's drive-in. Sam's drive-in. Somebody said Bob's early. Was there a Bob? That's in Paducah, right? Sam. But anyway, Sam's drive-in. And then you come back down the hill, back by the park, and you'd go through what that, that place called the what the the. You're the only. The rest of you, you're all liars. You you are being too pious to say, I circled the hole, right? And on a Friday night, right? We don't need any of this pious stuff in here, okay? We want you to be real. We want you to be honest, all right? But here's the deal. If you were really an old school cruiser, you cruised to show off your car. I mean, everybody washed up their cars on Friday afternoon, and you wanted to show off your car. Maybe a car like this right here. You would show off your car. Uh, we're going to put this up on the screen for you. I know we, there we go. That's my uncle's uh, 57 Chevy that he worked on and rebuilt his entire life. You know, even today they have these cruise-ins, right? And, and, and the old-time cruisers, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you, Emily and I had our first date cruising. Yeah, I jumped in the passenger seat with her and her friend. 
We both sat in the passenger seat. And man, she held my hand. And I was done. It was magical. I, I was done. Stick a fork in me. I was done. The rest is history. But the old timers, they'd show off their cars. But here's the deal. You didn't just show off your car. Because the outside's one thing. Everybody wanted to know what's under the what. What's under the hood. So, so in, in Murray, the guys would park around the court square and they'd pop the hoods of their truck. Even cruisings today, you'd walk around and you wanted, you wanted to see what's under the what. What's under the what's under the hood because this any of you guys getting excited right now you old, old muscle car guys because this is what makes the other run what we're doing we are raising the hood on John 3:16 we're looking at what makes this run and we're asking the question what is the gospel any of y'all get a chance this past week to watch billy graham's documentary on netflix one right there if you get a chance watch billy graham's documentary extraordinary journey i think is what it's called for almost eight decades billy graham built his international ministry Around the simple gospel message of John 3.16. And if you watch it, make sure you have a box of tissues with you. Because I promise by the time you get to the end of it, you're going to need that box of tissues. John 3.16. Everybody knows it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But when you pop the hood on this text. And you look at the context all around it. You'll see that this comes to us. In a discussion that Jesus has with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And in that it's almost like the goal if you will. Is the kingdom of God. Seeing and experiencing the kingdom of God. Of God. We can also, later in the text, we'll also see that as eternal life. Eternal life. And it seems that in this text, eternal life is really about embracing and seeing the kingdom of God. But there is another target in this discussion that Jesus has with Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be what? You must be born again. He says, and, and do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And Jesus was talking about being born of the Spirit. So it's like, okay, I want to see the kingdom of God. I want to have it, eternal life. So what has to happen to me to experience that? I have to be born of God's Spirit. And when Paul talked about this in Ephesians 1, it's really interesting. Because he says, 
after you, after, it's, it's interesting, he uses the word after. After you listened to the gospel of your salvation, after you listened and believed, then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the mark of a believer is the Spirit on his or her life. It's not what you did when you were a kid, six, seven, eight years old. It's not walking the aisle. It's not any certain prayer you pray. It's not going through baptismal waters. But it is, it is the mark of the Spirit on your life. That is, that is what it means to truly be His. And all that other stuff can come into play in that. But the question is, have you been born of the Spirit? He said, after listening or hearing, and that's on you. And then he goes from there and he says, and believing, that's on you. Listening, believing, then he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We could also call being born of the Spirit regeneration, being made new, being transformed. Listening, it's on you. Believing, it's on you. Being sealed with the Spirit is what God does. If, this is really important, if, if Paul is laying out a chronology of any particular steps that fall in any particular order, then it would make sense that Paul would say, you listen to the gospel, you believe the gospel, and then you're regenerated by the Spirit. Listening, believing, regeneration. Now, I want you to know something very, spe very spe specific about me before we move further into the text. For some of you, this won't mean anything. For some of you, this will mean everything when it comes to the doctrine of salvation. I want you guys to know that I am not an Arminian. Now, some of you will be like, uh, uh, or what? I thought you were a miller. That's what some of you are thinking. I thought you were a miller. I thought you were from Coldwater. I'm not an Arminian. For those of you who have no idea what it is, just, just know I'm not that. For those of you that that means something to, then know I'm not that. <laughs> also, by the end of this teaching you will also know that I am not something else. You'll be able to conclude what that is once we get through the teaching of the text. So that's just a disclaimer I want to throw out to you before we really dive in to John 3.16. Then what Jesus does is this. He uses what we call a type or a foreshadowing to help us to understand the gospel. He refers back to Numbers chapter 21. And in Numbers chapter 21, if you'll remember from Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites, in their 40 years of wandering, became very rebellious against the Lord. They spoke against the Lord. They spoke against Moses. God sent in their midst as a consequence for their rebellion, fiery serpents. And the biblical text says that some people were bitten and they died. Yet others who had 
been bitten, came to Moses and said, Moses, would you intercede for God on our behalf? Ask the Lord to take away the fiery serpents. We were careful to use particular words. They had been envenomated. They had been injected by venom. That's what it means. Poisoned. Sickened. By their rebellion. And they say to Moses, Moses, help us. We're sickened. We're poisoned. We're envenomated. Moses prays and God says this. He says, Moses... I want you to erect, I want you to build a bronze serpent and put it on a standard, on a pole. And raise it in the midst of the people. And anyone who looks to the bronze serpent on the pole, whoever looks, will find healing. That seems implied in Numbers chapter 21, that these individuals... They were sickened by their sin. But they weren't sickened by their sin to the point that they could not look. And it's implied in the admonition to look that you must look with belief. That faith is required. Otherwise, there's no point in looking. Look with faith. You look with faith, you will find healing. You can do that. Or not. And for those who would not look in their poisoned, envenomated, sickened condition, if they physically, they would physically die. They would experience a forever death. And once that happens, there's no point of return. There's no second chance to then look back and go, oh, wait a minute. We're dead now. Can we look back? No. Because once physical death would take place, it would be over for them. If Jesus is in fact helping us to see the poisoned, sinful condition of humanity, then Jesus would say that people are dead in their sins in the sense that they are spiritually separated from God. But not dead to the point that they are, they are incapable of looking with belief. What can a physically dead person do? If spiritual death is the same as physical death, what can a physically dead person do? Nothing. They can't even sin. So when Scripture tells us that people are dead in their trespasses and sins, the idea is that they are separated from God. Their spirit doesn't have the life of God. And if they die in that condition, they will forever be dead. And then there's no hope, there's eternal consequences for not believing, for not being born of the Spirit. And in this entire section of Scripture, 
When Jesus, after he spoke of being born of the Spirit, like in verse 8, he says back to Nicodemus, hey, we testified, but you did not receive. We shared with you. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? As if to say, Nicodemus, on you and the religious leaders, it's on you. You did not believe and you did not receive. And to not believe and to not receive is to bring about a forever death, eternal consequences. And when that happens, there is no chance of healing. There is no cure beyond the grave. So this is serious. And Jesus uses Numbers 21 in that event in the wilderness as the backdrop for what he says next in John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever what? That whoever what? Next verse. So that what? You're with me? That whoever believes in him will in him, whoever believes will in him, have eternal life. And then he drops the verse. I mean the megaverse. The power of John 3.16 is in nine words. It'd be neat if I could drop off one and we could say we have a V8 under the hood. But it's really nine words. Today, popular teachers only use seven or eight. But it's really nine. God loved world gave Whoever believes, perish eternal life. God loved, world gave, son, whoever believes, perish eternal life. The power of the verse lies in these nine words, and we start with God. You've got to believe that when Jesus brings up God to Nicodemus, Nicodemus does not need any qualifiers. That Jesus is talking about the one true God who is sovereign and love. The one from which everything else comes. The divine cause of everything else. That when he said to Moses, when he said to Moses, and Moses said, Who am I going to tell Pharaoh and those Egyptians who ha has sent me? And God said, Tell him, I am. I am can also be understood as saying, I am it. 
You trace everything back to one cause and one supreme being. God is it. Do any of you have an interest in God? And the scripture will go as far as to say this. In the book of John that Jesus has exegeted or Jesus has explained God. So if you really want to know God, the one true God, you have to go through Jesus to find God. He's exegeted him. That's John 1.17. It starts with God. But God does something in regards to humanity. God, so what? And y'all can leave that text up there. It's John 3.16, by the way. And God, so loved. Now, the world, the world, not just physical creation, but all of humanity, the world, talking about people. It'd be safe to say that the world is everyone. Everyone who's on the planet. Everyone who's been on the planet. Everyone who has, who, everyone who will be on the planet. The world. Which includes you. And it includes me. This is why we're able to say, God loves you. And there's no one on this planet that we could go to and not say God loves you. And it's not God loves you, but he doesn't love you. And God loves you, but he doesn't love you. And God loves you, but he doesn't love you. No, God loves the world. To love. To love. To plug in the understanding of the word agape, agapao, when you love, when you love, you do what you do for what someone gets out of it. God so did what he did for what others would get out of it. God did what he did for what others would get out of it. He so loved the spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. He so loved the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, and God so loved you. The text does not say, for God so loved God. And God is glorified and desires to be glorified in all things. But the simple message of God, John 3, 16, is God so loved the world. But it doesn't stop there. It's not God so loved the world, period. That's it. It's over. That is an incomplete gospel. And there are some today who say that the gospel is all about showing the love of God. Just show the love of God. Express the love of God. Preach the love of God. God loves everyone. Yes, but that's an incomplete gospel. There's even those who would say our heart and our message is just to show the love of God. As if it ends there. But it doesn't end there. 
God so loved that he does something about it. And there needs to be something done for humanity to have any hope or life. So the issue is not just about God loving people. The issue is that God loves people to the point that he's willing to do whatever it takes for them to be transformed and to be changed. And this transformation comes through Jesus Christ by being born of the Spirit after listening and believing based on Ephesians 1. So God loves people so much that He's willing to do what is necessary in order for them to be changed. The message is not just come as you are, God loves you. Man, and so many times today in our culture, love means to accept and to condone everything around that, that person, that person's life. God gave his son for a reason because humanity needs life. Humanity is separated from the heart of God because of rebellion and sin. So God wants to change the sinful condition. So the message is, God loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. God loves you. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. It is about transformation. He gave. And he gave from heaven. He gave from heaven. Because there was nothing, there's nothing that man can do. In his sickened and poisoned condition of rebellion against God, there's nothing he can do to generate his own hope. So God gives. He gives from heaven. And we see that he gives his son. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk more in detail about these other words. But listen to me about the mandate and the commandment he gave to Jesus when he gave his son. It's found in John 10, verses 17 and 18. These are the words of Christ. For this reason... The Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one killed Jesus. No one crucified the Son of God. The Son of God gave up his life. He gave it up. And he says, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. And then he says this, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment, next part, this commandment, this mandate, this charge, I received from my Father. What is the charge? What is the mandate? God says, I love the world. Son, you go. But you go. And you die. go and you die. Why? Because they can't have life unless you die. And when they took that bronze serpent, number 20, numbers 21, and they put the serpent on the pole, 
It was like their sin and their rebellion was being crucified on that pole. And we hear the words of Paul when he says about Christ. He says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became and he took on the serpent. You go, but you go and you die. Loving is expressed in giving. But this love that gives, as we'll learn as we continue to work through, this love that gives cannot change your life until you look and believe and are transformed by the Spirit of God. It will change your life. It will change your passions. It will invigorate you. You'll no longer be separated person, dead person, walking, breathing but not living. Breathing but not living. No longer breathing but living. If you do not know Christ, if you have not been born of the Spirit, you are breathing, but you're not living. And eternal life is not what you get when you die and go to heaven. It's what you get at the point of faith and regeneration. That's when you begin to experience eternal life. And there's about three qualities of eternal life that we're going to explore next week. And you don't get it when you die. It has eternal implications, but it makes any and a temporal and a, a, a here and now temporal is not the right word but a here and now difference in your life it changes who you are and if you have not been changed in the core of your spirit and soul regardless of what you did when you were six or nine or twelve or thirteen If you haven't been transformed by the Spirit, you do not have the mark of God on your life. It is belief and faith with a point of a, a, an implication and a belief that you'll be healed by trusting Him. We're going to talk about what it means to believe. Next week, we're going to break it down. Believing is the same as receiving. So neat when we get to get to it. If you'd give me another hour, we'd break it down. But I know you better than that. before right now I want you to examine your salvation I really do my, my biggest concern is that I have baptized people who weren't changed by a spirit that maybe they went forward as a kid and they just made a decision and they thought, hey, it's just my time, and there is no real sense that I am sickened and I need to be healed. My biggest concern is that I've baptized students. Who just gave lip service. 
to what they thought maybe their parents wanted them to do or what they thought was right in the moment. They maybe had an emotional experience. I'm not calling you to doubt your salvation, but just to examine. Just examine. It's a good time. It's a good thing just to occasionally examine. And it comes back to belief and faith with a view that He's my hope and He's my healing. And apart from Him, there's eternal consequences of perishing. We're going to talk about what that means. That's going to be so much fun. Not fun to perish. But in exploring what it really means. I want you to quietly stand with us, please. Bow your heads, close your eyes, please. You know, this week school started back. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to pray over, well, first of all, we're going to pray for ourselves. But we're going to pray over our administrators, faculty, staff, teachers, nurses. And then we're going to pray over our students who are here in this service. So if you are an administrator, teacher, faculty, staff, or you are a part of one's family, would you please do this at the honor, slip out, come to these steps, come to these prayer benches in the front. Our prayer counselors are stepping out right now. Please come. We are going to come around you, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray over you. If you're a student, we want you to now come, please. Slip out from where you are if you're a student. And I promise you, in the few days you guys just kneel, uh, uh, or sit, or whatever you want to, I promise you, these teachers and administrators, they've already have faced challenges this week. These teachers already have a burdened heart for students in their class. Okay, we kneel like this. I'm just saying, this is how we kneel. <laughs> this is, yeah, there you go. There we go. And now the rest of us, we kind of come around, okay? And we're going to spend time just praying over all these folks who are in our school systems. We have Murray, Callaway, Marshall, Graves, and McCracken who are a part of the body of Christ here. Not to mention college students. And we're going to pray over them. And we're going to pray first and foremost that each one knows Jesus. And then that God and Jesus will express his life through them in their school, their homeschool, their home, their classroom, wherever they find themselves. The body of Christ has your back. We do. We got your back. We're for you. We're for you. If you need us, you come find us. If you need us in your school, if you need us to substitute teach, if you need us to come and pray, if you need us just to be there, you call us. We'll be there for you in any way. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 
If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family. Then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.